Welcome to Brightest Bulbs, technology podcast and webinars for energy-minded professionals, brought to you by Cummins. You are in the right place if you are looking to learn about the latest innovations in energy or find out what is in the works to build a sustainable energy future. Today we will explore the connection between data and energy. We will start with some of the technologies that are now household names, including 5G, IoT and beyond. We will then talk about the backbone, the not-so-well-known infrastructure behind these technologies, data centers. This is Thomas Hillick, host of Brightest Bob's podcast and webinars. Today, Sarah Griffith will join us. You will hear Sarah's insights from her 20 years of unique experience partnering with various sectors in exploring power generation solutions. Sarah, thanks for joining today's episode. Excited to have you. We start each episode with a short question to learn a little more about you, and today's question fits well with our topic ahead. If you could only use one piece of technology, what would it be? Thomas, you know, it's funny of you to ask me this 12 months ago. I might have been tempted to say that I thoroughly enjoyed my spare time with no technology, but so my answer here would have to be my cell phone. I think keeping connectivity with everyone at the moment is, is an absolute necessity right now. We will talk about digitalization and energy. But before we jump there, why don't we start with some of the basics? 5G, Internet of Things, IoT, and edge computing are some of the popular digitalization terms we frequently hear. How do these different technologies come together, Sarah? Yeah, I think one of the ways for us to understand this a little more might be to think about how the technology actually shows up to various user types. So. You know, whether you're a residential, a commercial, or an industrial user, we're all likely to be using these IoT devices in one way or another. So I think about as a residential user, we might have smart home devices like security cameras, light switches, all as a part of our home automation. Or we may be driving a car with some level of autonomous thinking. I know my driver assist features in my vehicle took a little getting used to, but, but as I think about it, I actually now love them. You now, from a commercial user perspective, you know, in things like healthcare, retail, you might be using these devices to monitor health, to kind of track inventory, or for e-commerce through smart devices. Think about all those online purchases that you might be making or, or seeing or virtual doctor's visits right now. As industrial users of IoT for analytics of their supply chain, kind of tracking equipment performance and for robotic manufacturing, Intel did a comprehensive study lately on this and found out that healthcare, commercial businesses and manufacturing operations actually lead others in the use of IoT devices. And most of these devices, Thomas, rely on mobile communications to relay data back and forth. And this is kind of where the 5G, 4G comes into play for mobile communications. As we've had more IoT devices, we need more capacity for them to operate, which 5G can offer us. So with, when you think of some of these IoT devices, what you want is a need for speed and low latency, and where that latency is actually a delay. And so it's the amount of delay or time it takes to send information from one point to the next. So this latency is usually measured in milliseconds. So think about how at some point in time over the last few weeks, many of us will have experienced that kind of video call screen freeze moment. So if it's life-threatening in some instances, this life latency is not low enough. And so 
really think about driving an autonomous vehicle, which is loaded with sensors and analyzing large amounts of data, which needs to make instantaneous decisions. So there's really no room for an error or delay in sending this data to a faraway data center to get it analyzed. And this is a similar situation for many of our IoT devices, including you know, healthcare applications where life safety is critical. So this need for low latency, Thomas, brings up kind of edge computing. And edge computing is simply the activity of processing and storing data close to where the data is generated and used. In contrast to sending the data far away to a central data center for processing. So 5G brings up the high speed, but it's not enough by itself to deliver the low latency needs for many of these IoT devices. You really need a combination of edge computing and 5G to deliver this ultra-low latency. And this high-speed mobile network offering by 5G combined with this edge computing that takes place near the end user. Great, sir. You're answering here many questions I've had for a long time. I've never really knew what latency was. So, we all have IoT devices at home, at work, in our cars. Many of them need mobile communication networks. Uh, 5G comes into play and brings the expanded capacity, high speed and increased reliability for these devices to operate. Meanwhile, edge computing brings the computing activity near these devices and end users, delivering the needed lower latency. All coming together. Where do data centers fall into this picture, Sarah? Well, we just talked about all the ways that devices are gathering the data from whether you're a residential or industrial user. And so all that data has got to go somewhere. So ultimately, it goes to data centers. And, and they really are the backbone of this connected network that we exist in. And few people see them, but billions of us depend on them to keep our phones and all our other devices connected. And so these data centers host computing, storage, and networking equipment to have these connected devices operate. And every time one of us sends an email, checks our social media, streams some content for TV, or we rely on our IoT devices, we're also relying on data centers behind the scenes to provide all of that computer tasking activity. And so there are different business models that companies look at for storing and processing their data. And some companies might choose to build and operate their own data centers, usually where data sensitivity might be high. Although this is kind of changing with the advancements of cloud computing and data center operational expenses being high. And so others might choose to rent space for their service to reside in, often cases in what's called a multi-tenant co-location facility. I think of these kind of like renting an apartment where you just pay the rent and bring your own furniture. And then there's the large cloud computing folks who often choose to build their own data centers or partner with a co-location facility depending on their need. There are two key digitalization trends you've talked about so far. First is the increased use of data. And while this is not surprising, the scale of this increase is eye-opening. I've recently seen a research that predicts that the amount of data created over the next three years will be more than the data created over the past 30 years. Then comes the second digitalization trend, need for low latency. It is driven by mission-critical IoT devices like healthcare and the consumer needs like gaming activities. Given this pressure on data-centered industry to satisfy these demands, 
How is the industry managing this ever-increasing and evolving demand, Sarah? In many different ways, I think Thomas is a short answer. But if we look historically, many companies built and operated their own data center infrastructures and managed their own data storage. And you know, as this data demand increases, this can become challenging for companies to manage. And the infrastructure needs, you know, needs continual upgrading and software revisions need advancing. And so on the need for increasing capacity, cloud is really the big part of the answer. And more specifically, there is increasing popularity of hybrid clouds over public and private clouds as one way that the industry and end users manage this increasing demand. And so what you're seeing, Thomas, is these companies kind of shifting away from a capital expenditure model of data centers that they own themselves to an operational model where they use those multi-tenant data centers. The second focus on the industry is really this edge data center, and it's more geared towards addressing the evolution of end users' need around that low latency. And in recent years, hyperscale and co-location data centers have dominated the market, and we expect some increasing focus on edge data centers to complement these hyperscale data centers and as 5G infrastructure builds out. Sarah, you've just mentioned hyperscale and edge data centers, two wonderful expressions. How different or similar are those two? There are some foundational similarities between edge and hyperscale data centers. Both have similarities in core infrastructure in terms of kind of the computing, networking, and storage activities. They're just at very different scales and for different focuses. So in some ways, though, the edge is the opposite of a hyperscale. And these edge data centers are very small. So imagine them in the kind of the size of a shipping container. And they're usually located within a few miles from where the data is generated. A couple of examples are like on-site at a hospital or near a cell phone tower. They kind of focus on delivering low-latency data processing and are an extension of the cloud-based network. So, for example, an autonomous car application needs real-time processing, and it would be handled by the Edge data center, which would offer the user the end latency that they're looking for. Meanwhile, the hyperscale data center would still play a role by focusing on processing, such as um, user logins, data storage, and keeping records that don't require this low latency. So Thomas' short answer is it's interesting space because both edge and hyperscale data centers are going to coexist with each other, just doing kind of different digital tasks, and it's all driven by this need for this low latency. I have to admit, I'm really not a data center expert. I've never been in one of these large hyperscale data centers, likely many of our listeners neither. Would you mind helping us visualize what a hyperscale data center looks like, Sarah? Sure, I'll try. You know, they're really large facilities. The largest data center campuses in the world are probably large enough to host 50 soccer fields within their property. And from outside, you would notice a couple of things. First is a utility substation, because often these hyperscale data centers consume enough electricity to justify having their own utility substation. Second are large cooling towers. Data centers produce large amounts of heat from all of that computing activity, and they often need state-of-the-art cooling systems to manage that heat. What you'll notice as you get closer is a very secure perimeter around this very large campus property. And this is kind of crucial for these hyperscale data centers to first establish a physical security of their operations. 
Once you get through that and through many other security protocols, you will notice that the heart of the data center is actually hundreds and thousands of computing racks or servers. That looks like row upon row of flashing lights and processing units, and you will also find mechanical and electrical rooms for maintaining the operations of the data center. As a PowerGen person, Thomas, I tend to enjoy seeing and understanding the electrical systems of the sites, because for me, there's nothing like rows and rows of switchboards and control systems to make my day. But I will say there's one thing you won't find in the heart of a data center, and that's tons of people. They really do take security very seriously. And this is where I have to be honest, Thomas. I have to say I haven't even been allowed into the data hall side of a hyperscale data center yet. Hmm, interesting. It is just eye-opening to understand the size of these large data center campuses. This ties well into our next section. Let's pivot into the energy aspect. It is no surprise to hear that data centers consume lots of energy especially after listening the Visual Data Center Tour. If you sum up all the data centers in the world, they collectively consume about 200 terawatt hours of energy. Almost all of this is electricity. This is about 1% of all electricity used in the world and about the same amount of electricity Spain uses in a year. What is your take in this energy use aspect? Yeah, this connected world and all our digital lives are really very energy intensive. I think, though, Thomas, the good news is, though, that the industry is getting more efficient. For instance, the International Energy Agency's analysis shows that, you know, kind of the energy demand from data centers globally stayed at a flat level over the last five years. And this is good since the amount of data generated, analyzed and stored went up significantly over the same period of time. So, much more data, yet the same energy consumption. And one of the key drivers behind this is data centers getting increasingly more efficient. Uptime Institute tracks this through something called the Power Usage Effectiveness, or PUE. And it's really a ratio of energy used by the data center to the energy used by computing requirement. And so if the ratio is 2, it means half the energy used in a data center is for non-computing purposes, such as cooling, lighting. And so the lower the ratio, the better it is. The ratio actually fell from 2.5 in 2007 to 1.67 in 2019. And if a data center is consuming 167 units of energy, 100 of it goes to computing and 67 goes to non-computing. A decade ago, a data center would have needed 250 units of energy instead of 167 for the same computing power. So the industry really is working hard to get more efficient. Interesting to hear about the progress so far, Sarah. Let's switch to forward-looking perspectives. When it comes to energy in the industry, what do you think will be the key focus areas and how the industry will go about these, Sarah? Yeah, the, t the top priority for the data center industry will be around decarbonization. And with the increasing environmental consciousness, there will be more focus on lower carbon emissions associated with how data is processed in the data center industry. And this focus on decarbonization actually makes perfect sense when you consider that the data centers are using around 1% of the world's electricity. But there is a very interesting situation that I found, you know, often when we think about starting to pursue decarbonization, 
typically focus on carbon generated by your own activities. And for data centers, it's things like the generators they run or vehicles that they operate. And recently, Microsoft shed a little bit more light into their carbon footprint view in a more comprehensive manner. And they looked at how the three main buckets of carbon contributions applies to them. And what they've publicly shared is that less than 1% of their carbon footprint is due to scope one emissions, which are direct emissions, for instance, our power generators and the vehicles that they run. Yet 25% of their carbon footprint is due to what's called scope two emissions or indirect emissions, which are primarily due to carbon generated while producing the electricity and the heat to run their facilities, including their data centers. But 75% of the carbon footprint is due to scope three emissions, which are the indirect emissions that come from all the other activities in which they're engaged in. Do you think it is common for other businesses to have a similar pattern where the majority of their carbon footprints comes from indirect emissions and minimal direct emissions? Yeah, for many businesses, so healthcare facilities, office complexes, water facilities, factories, almost likely emit less direct carbon than indirect. I mean, we have our own target of net zero by 2050. So let me give you a few examples and thoughts on the direct and indirect emissions when it comes to this decarbonization discussion. So for direct emissions, that's at scope one, yet there's a need to use power generation assets with lower to no carbon footprint on site. And these could be things like ultra low emission generators, replacing diesel fuel with synthetic or biodiesel equivalents, natural gas, green gas, hydrogen, maybe solid oxide or PEM fuel cells, and even stationary energy storage systems. So, so lots of solutions and options out there. But meanwhile, this larger reduction in carbon footprint could be accomplished by focusing on how your facility is actually sourcing electricity. And that's that scope two emissions. So things like, are you part of a microgrid where there is high share of renewables? Are you leveraging renewable energy credits and certificates? Focusing on understanding where you're actually getting your electricity today is crucial since the world's power generation mix is still heavily fossil fuel based. With about 60% of the electricity we use today is still generated by burning fossil fuels with the primarily worst fender being coal. And then finally, you can keep your suppliers and where applicable, all your channel partners accountable to revisiting their own carbon footprint in serving your needs. And this is that scope three indirect emissions we were talking about. A quick follow up regarding renewable energy certificates. Those are well known within the data center industry. Would you quickly describe those for our listeners that are not as familiar with those, Sarah? Yeah, the direct use of renewable energy is well known, which is simply using renewable sources, things like solar, wind, to power data centers or actually anyone's facility. The challenge with the direct use of renewables is actually their availability. And so in other words, whether you can produce energy locally with renewables throughout the day and night to power a data center. So renewable energy certificates are one way to address this challenge. And in this scenario, Kind of the data center operators purchase renewable energy and associated renewable energy certificates. In cases where the renewable energy is produced in a location far away from the data center, the operator sells the renewable energy back to the grid and uses the certificates to offset its carbon footprint. 
Now, while kind of this is very common in the industry right now, the direct use of renewable energy may take the lead as we go forward. Sarah, it has been very interesting to hear about all the data we use every day and its energy footprint. Data centers are truly exciting for many of us, yet many of our listeners operate in other sectors. What would you say that these advancements in data center industry could mean for listeners in other sectors? You know, it's interesting and, and honestly, Thomas, it's a world of unknowns, really. Um, but what I can tell you is that every data center customer demands really high quality performance and support from their suppliers. And they have a high expectation on reliability and uptime performance, as you can imagine, because their standby power assets are a part of the data center energy security. However, if you're in healthcare, wastewater treatment, airports, or any other industry, They all have loads and situations where they require the same performance. And so all in all, Thomas, I think every customer is benefiting from our leadership, the development of IoT in this whole data center market. And I think the good news here is that what has helped us earn the confidence of many data center operators is actually also available to support all other customers with their mission critical needs. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining today's episode. It was exciting to listen about energy innovations within data centers. For listeners that are interested to learn more about data centers and energy technologies, are there any resources you would suggest them? Yeah, Thomas, I would say there's quite a lot, actually. I, I tend to levitate towards uh, kind of geek wire. I, I like to look at data center knowledge, data center dynamics, or actually just simply go to the customer's blog sites and, and have a read about what they're thinking and what they're doing. Great. In addition to Sarah's suggestions, be sure to visit Cummins.com podcast to find other episodes and more resources. Thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of Brightest Bulbs. In our next episode, We will pivot from technologies to the innovation process behind these technologies and will focus on what is innovation. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 